0: Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm the senior pastor here at LifePoint Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like a little more information about our church, check out lpchurch.us. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, as Pastor Dennis said, we're going to continue our series today through the book of Philippians. It's just so good to see all of you here today. And uh, hey, listen, as we go through this series, one of the things that we all know is we are all on a joy quest. We are in different phases of life, different struggles in life. We have different challenges in our life, different challenges in our family, different challenges in the region of the world that we live in. And yet we are all on a joy quest. And so as we go through this book of Philippians, we have one verse that we've kind of anchored the series around that I encourage you to say with me each week. And at the end of the series, you'll have it memorized. And I believe it'll be helpful for you going forward. It's Philippians 4. Verses 4 through 5, and it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Then he says, And let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Philippians 4, 4 through 5. Now would you just say that out loud with me? Say that. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. And let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Philippians 4, 4 through 5. Now, I've already said, I've made a claim that you're on a joy quest. And I bet you, if you're like most of us, you're like, yeah, but. Yeah, I might be on a joy quest, but I can't have joy right now because, right? In fact, we gave you a fill in the blank last week. I want to remind that to you. It says, if I only blank, then I'd have joy. I don't know what that is for you. Maybe you think, if I didn't have this disappointment in my life, I'd have joy. If I didn't have this struggle, if I didn't have this regret, if I didn't have this broken relationship, if I didn't have this diagnosis, if I didn't have this debt, if I didn't have this uh, challenge within my family, then I'd have joy, right? Like it's always, if I, if I didn't have the struggle at work, then I'd have joy. What we're really all saying, we all think this is where we naturally think, we all think this, if I could only change my circumstances, then I'd have joy and right out of the gate in philippians chapter 1 what paul introduces to all of us is that circumstances can't prevent your joy Circumstances can't prevent your joy. And I just want to tell you, if you missed last week, there were several that have, that have shared with us that, that it was an encouragement to them to go back through Philippians chapter 1. It was kind of a reminder to re-anchor where we put our hope and how we have joy even in difficulty. And if you're there today, if you're struggling in some way, something's going on in your life, something that's on in your past you can't let go of, there's something you're dealing with as you're worried and overwhelmed, have the anxiety of this life. And you missed last week, I just want to encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast or go online because I believe what Paul does right out of the gate in Philippians 1 is he addresses the elephant in the room. Yeah, I want to have joy, but how do I have joy here? How do I have joy where I'm struggling? And that is what he talks about right out of the gate. And what we're trying to do in this series is not talk about how you can have joy where you wish you were or where you dream to be, but how you can have joy Right here, right now, without your circumstances changing, how you can still have joy here. And circumstances are often the greatest things that kill our joy. And Paul wants it to be clear. Think about it. A guy under house arrest wrote a book on joy. And so he's making it clear. Circumstances can't prevent our joy. Now, you may be here and you go, well, you know what? That's just not my stage of life right now. I'm not wrestling with like difficulties or difficult circumstances, life's kind of going smoothly right now. And and you feel like maybe you're tempted to knock on wood, but you feel like, hey, things are going okay for me. Like things aren't upside, this isn't a dark season for me. In fact, I feel kind of blessed because I'm more fortunate than others. And I feel like life's just kind of going okay for me right now. And I would just ask you and push you, if that's you, and that may be many of us today, we still come back to this same question. And that is, what gives you joy? What is it that gives you joy? And this is the question whether your circumstances are good or bad that we continue to wrestle with. And here's what we discovered last week. No thing gives you joy. No thing gives you joy. In fact, what we specifically learned last week was joy is about who more than what, right? that it's about a relationship with God and it's about partnership with others, but no thing will give you joy. Now you may be thinking, oh, now wait a minute, Mark. Wait a minute, wait a minute. We live in Collin County. We're so blessed with stuff. Like we have these things around us like crazy and we do, don't we? Compared to the majority of the world, we are incredibly fortunate to live where we live and to have what we have. It doesn't mean that you feel rich compared to everybody else, but globally speaking, we're doing pretty well. And it's easy to look around us and go, man, the one thing that probably should contribute to the joy or the happiness that I feel is all the stuff I have the opportunity to accumulate. It's a struggle, I believe, and in fact, I think it's a unique one. Because as you look around, what you see is all these new housing developments, all these new Costco's. All these new ATBs, all these new restaurants, all these new shopping centers, these amazing malls, places to shop, all these new car lots. When you look around, in fact, what you see is we can't build uh, storage units fast enough to store all the extra stuff that we have, right? Like, we're so blessed. We have all this stuff around us. We have all these things around us that I believe you and I, if we're going to find joy where we are, we have a very unique dilemma. And that's the question I want you to consider that you may have never considered before is what do you do when you're surrounded by things that don't give you joy? In fact, you're surrounded by things that can't give you joy. Things that others promise will give you joy, but you're smart enough already to know that just isn't true. Things that don't give you joy. And you may be tempted because if you're like me, you've gone to select some developing nations as you've just traveled throughout the years. And Sometimes you'll go to a place that's really poor and you'll see other people who don't have many material things and yet they have this inexplicable joy. They have this smile. And you just think, wow, there's so much innocence here. They just seem to be such happy people. Clearly material things aren't giving them this joy because they don't have material things. And if you're like me, there's a little thing in the back of your head that when you see that, you think, well, they just don't know any better. They don't know what we know. You know, if they had the car I had, then they, or if they saw the car I have and realized what they don't have, if they saw the, the way we get to live and versus the way they have to live, if they saw our medical care, if they saw our retirement, if they saw our opportunities, if they saw where we get to go out to eat, if they saw where we get to shop and the things that we get to do, they wouldn't have the joy they have. They just don't know better tempting to think that and then I can't help but think of the fame and wealthy actor Jim Carrey, who said I wish everyone could experience being rich and famous so they'd see it wasn't the answer to anything I can't help but think that maybe we as Americans don't know better because we are surrounded by things that promise to give us the joy they can never give us We're spending our lives chasing things that can't give us what we are ultimately after. We're after a who, not a what. So, Paul, as only Paul can, goes from chapter one where he says, We're going to tell you how you can have joy despite your circumstances. And then he gets to chapter 2, which we're going to look at today. And he goes, and today, instead of despite your circumstances, he's going to teach us how to have joy despite our stuff. And we're going to discover something that I think is very relevant to all of us, especially those of us who live right here in Collin County. So if you've got your Bibles, please turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Let's dive in together. This this is such a wonderful book. In fact, as we said before, scholars often refer to these four letters as the prison letters. They are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon because Paul wrote them under house arrest. He was under house arrest for an extended period of time. And under house arrest, he writes a letter on joy. It's the letter that we are looking at. But what he does in chapter 2 is so fascinating. Because Paul gives his own experience. He says, look, I am going to have joy in these difficult circumstances because I can already see how it's advancing the gospel. So I feel like this is eternally significant, even in ways I don't yet understand, even in ways I don't yet see. And then in chapter 2, he says, but those of you who have abundance, those of us who have abundance, who feel fortunate, he says, now I want you to follow the life of Jesus And he spends chapter 2 on what are some of my favorite verses. Maybe you feel this way too if you're familiar with it. Some of the best verses that demonstrate how Jesus teaches us through his life how to have joy. Because think about it. In Hebrews 12, 2, you don't have to turn there. But we see, told to us that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, who's not only the author and finisher of our faith, But Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. How did Jesus have joy even as he headed toward the cross? Well, Paul is going to tell us in Philippians chapter 2. We live in abundance. How do we have joy despite our stuff? Watch what Paul teaches us today through the life of Jesus. Beginning in verse 2, Paul writes, Make my, say these next two words with me, joy complete. So this means I want to have the kind of deep joy, not that superficial happy joy. I want to have the deep joy. I want my joy to be complete, that feeling of being whole. Here's how we make my joy complete, Paul says. Here it goes. By being like-minded. Okay, so right away out of the gate, he's talking about unity. Having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. And then he goes further, he kind of keeps pushing the envelope. He says, and do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And we go, wow, I don't know a lot of people who qualify so far. And then he goes, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of of others look at others interest above ourselves doesn't that sound like a foreign concept i mean Those of us who are married, we remember, oh, that's right. Yeah, look at others' interest above myself. This is how we have a healthy marriage. Those of us who have kids, those of us who uh, have siblings, those of us who have co-workers, this is how we have healthy relationships. Those of us who are in small groups, those of us who go to church together, those who have neighbors, this is how we do life together. But I don't know about you, but that is a rare thing when you see someone who consistently puts others' interest above themselves. Do we even think that way? I mean, think about it. I've been in bookstores and seen people walk in and ask, where's the self-help section? I've never been in a bookstore where somebody walked in and asked, where's the others' help section? This is the way we even think, is it? That we would put others' interests consistently above ourselves and then, as if that weren't enough, after setting up the whole idea that in order to have joy, it will be a life that puts others' interest above our own, which is such an upside-down thinking, isn't it? It was always like Jesus, to have this upside-down kingdom. That for the joy that I want, I think I've got to accumulate. And Paul goes, No, actually, it's the other way around. You'll put others' interest above your own. And then to give the ultimate example, he turns us and he turns our eyes to Jesus. And this is where it gets so powerful. He says, In your, verse five, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And you go, Okay, got it. I need to follow Jesus. Okay, I'll be. I'll be kind, I'll let people in traffic, I'll let them in ahead of me, I'll say God bless you when somebody sneezes. Is this what he's talking about? It's not at all what he's talking about. Watch what he's talking about because now he's going to move us and if you are serious about being a follower of Jesus, these next few verses are going to push us to a place of discomfort and it will challenge every one of us no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus. These next few verses are so countercultural to the way that we think and the way that we, most of us live on a consistent basis it's why we've got to keep coming back to what Jesus demonstrated what did Jesus do? watch this in verse 6 Jesus who being in very nature God wasn't like God he was God did not consider equality with God again he's God something to be used to his own advantage now think about this, this is so important Because every other faith system that's out there talks about the leader being the founder, being a prophet, being wise, being dynamic, being sacrificial, being spiritual in some way. But Christianity makes a very different claim. Paul echoes what Jesus himself said. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't even just a great teacher who had some kind of supernatural gift. He is God. He is God. Now here's why that's so important. You envision what that would be like to be God in heaven. Think about God in heaven who knows all, who sees all, who is in all places, who is holy, who is just, who is merciful, who is gracious, who is perfect. Meanwhile, this great God is in a perfect place in heaven where there is no anxiety, there is no hurt, there is no fear, there is no anger, there is no resentment, there is no bitterness. A perfect, powerful God in a perfect place. And you know what Jesus did? And I'm not suggesting that we're God's living in heaven here in Collin County because we're far from it, right? It's a good county, but come on, it's not heaven, right? We got God who's living in heaven. And what he says is he didn't want to use that to his own advantage. Paul's pointing out something so profound here that instead of using it for his own personal gain, watch what Jesus, God the Son, did in verse 7. Rather... He made himself, say that next word with me, nothing. God, Jesus, made himself nothing. This is a a root word that is kenosis. It means he emptied himself. He veiled his deity. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He made himself a servant. I don't know about you, I like the idea of serving. I don't necessarily want to be seen as a servant. God the Son made himself a servant. And then think about this. The creator stepped down to become the created. And he emptied himself. He made himself nothing. A simple baby Born in a manger, common clothing, the Holy Savior became a humble servant. Jesus came to earth. He laid it all down. Now, think about this. Jesus, instead, when he came to earth, and sometimes I kind of wish he had, and then I get to thinking, I go, no, I'm glad he didn't. He could have pursued honor when he came to earth. He could have come as a king. He could have come as a conqueror instead of a baby in a manger as a holy servant. And listen, I just want to, if you're new here today, if maybe you're online and you're watching, you're just kind of checking out, I just want to say to you, if you're outside of Christianity, if you're staring in and you're just kind of watching today, can I just tell you, keep it up because what we're about to talk about, even if you don't follow Jesus, this will make your life better. Even if you don't follow Jesus, what he's about to model to us will make your life better. Jesus could have come as a conqueror. He could have come as a king. But he made himself nothing. Now watch this. Why did he make himself nothing? This is so important. If you you are a follower of Jesus, you ought to really pay attention to this part. Because this pushes us further than we want to go. The reason he didn't seek honor is because he had a very specific audience in mind. I want you to see this in verse eight. And being Jesus found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, didn't pursue honor, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now why is that a big deal? Because we learn in Romans 5.8 that this is where he demonstrated his love for us, for you and for me, in that while we were still sinners, he went to the cross and died for us. So who was he thinking about when he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross? He was thinking about you, and he was thinking about me. It wasn't just like this kind act to let somebody in no this was I am going to be obedient to death I'm looking after the interest of others I am humbling myself and I am laying down emptying myself of everything because he's thinking of you and he was thinking of me this is a different kind of way to live this is a much higher level of sacrifice than many of us see day to day than many of us maybe even live day to day you see, it turns out in humility, Jesus gave up everything for others. All to advance this gospel that Paul keeps talking about, this good news of his death, burial, and resurrection. And I gotta ask myself, what am I sacrificing to advance? The gospel. What is God inviting you to sacrifice to advance the gospel? Think about this Jesus could have come as a king, but Jesus didn't get what he deserved so that I didn't get what I deserve. Jesus gave up everything. To show his love for everyone. Jesus came to die so that I could live. And then he invites us, if we're serious about following Jesus, then he invites us. And this is something he taught in all the gospels. He taught this and then he demonstrated it on the cross. But he taught this over and over again. This was the profound message of his life. It's in Mark eight thirty-five. Again, it's in, it's in Matthew. It's in Luke as well. But he said, whoever wants to save their life, in other words, if you really want joy, you will lose it. You're like, wait a minute. That's the exact opposite of what I would think. It's the exact opposite of what our culture says. But whoever loses their life for me, Jesus, and the gospel, which is what he's wanting to advance, You will save it, or there is where you will find joy. In heaven, Jesus had every advantage. And he gave it all up because he didn't want to use it for his own advantage. He put others' interest above his own in humility. I don't know about you, I am so tempted in my pride to hang on to what I have and to think it's for me because I've earned it, and for some reason I lose sight of who's the real source of everything that I have. So back to our original question. What do you do when you're surrounded by things that don't give you joy? In a culture that has so many things, is joy even possible here? And here's what Jesus modeled Whether you follow Jesus or not, this principle is key. It is the message of his life and how it's demonstrated here in Philippians 2. It's what Paul wants us to know. You can have joy in spite of circumstances and you can have joy in spite of stuff if we follow what Jesus modeled. Here it is. That joy is found when you leverage what you have for the benefit of others. It is in humility saying, I will value others more than myself. I will look after their interest more than mine. If this advances the gospel, I will make the sacrifice. And joy can be found in the midst of stuff. Now, I love where Paul goes from here in the rest of chapter 2 of Philippians. He goes on to say in verse 12, I think it's through 18, he goes, hey, and by the way, don't grumble. I I love how practical that is because everything in me, I like to grumble. Grumble can be kind of fun. We talked about mumbling earlier. Jesus was seeing the Pharisees who mumbled. And now Paul says, and they also grumble, right? So, so he says, don't do that. And then he says, because he says, if you don't do that, this is what's fascinating. He said, if you don't grumble, you will be like the light shining, the stars shining in the sky. And then he says, and I just want you to know, Jesus is not only a great example to follow. Not only is Paul living this out under house arrest, but then he goes on to specifically point at two men. In the last part of chapter 2, he brags on two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus, and he says, I want you all to know, those friends of of mine there in Philippi, I want you all to know this. These guys are living it out. They are living for others' interest above their own. They're valuing others above themselves. They are like-minded. They are of one body and one spirit. These guys are leveraging their lives for the benefit of others. And he's so proud of them, he couldn't help but brag about them. He couldn't help but ask them to pray for them. And, and he was going to send them on ahead. And he was bragging about who was demonstrating exactly what Jesus' life modeled. And I can't end without trying to do the exact same thing that in our church there are some of you who are modeling this so well Dennis showed a picture of uh, I think we had 80 uh, some volunteers who came out to an event Friday night we got another half of volunteers that are coming to an event this Friday night we had so much fun so much laughing and way too much food but we just wanted to say thank you to all these amazing people who regularly give of their time and their talents frankly they're just available to come and to serve not for their own interest, but for the interest of others. And so what Isaac did this week, Pastor Isaac, was he sent out a survey to all these volunteers and said, hey, would you just answer these questions? And they were so encouraging. I just thought, let's share a couple of these answers because I hope it'll encourage you The way it encouraged me. One of the questions was, why did you begin serving to begin with? I love this person says, I believe in the mission of Christ's church and in the leadership here at LPC, and I want to be part of that mission. In other words, I'm putting others' values above my own, others' interests above my own. Another person said, to encourage others is why I began serving and to be a servant for Christ and our church. I love that. This one was pretty matter-of-fact, said, well, I felt... Felt led to get off my butt and put the talents God gave me to work. (laughs) That's the PG-13 version, right? So then we asked, why do you continue to serve? One person said, because it has grown my faith and allows me to see God through different lenses. Another person, I love this, says, it makes me whole. Remember what Paul said right out of the gate, that your joy will be complete when these things, when you start leveraging your life for the benefit of others. This is a person who's demonstrating exactly that. Another person said, I love this one. My husband makes me. <laughs> I was sure it was my wife, Ginger, and it was not. Whoever wrote that, they put a smiley face, so I guess we're good. Next person said, to be an example to my kids and teach them what it means to serve. Seeing the growth and impact in our community. You see how other-centered all these are? Another, then we asked, well, what is one thing that serving has cost you? I love the honesty. Some people shared. One person said, who serves here at LPC, some time alone it cost me, but it's better building up the next generation than staying at home, other-centered. Isn't that amazing? Praise God. By the way, thank you for those of you who serve. You're being touched, I can tell. You are grateful just like I am. Another person said, here's what it cost me. It cost me beauty sleep. Thank you for writing that PG. I know it had to have been you. Somebody else, and in fact, nearly every person wrote this, it cost me time, which is a big deal, because it's the one asset we can't multiply, it's very valuable, the truth is if you do anything of value, it will cost you something, and for all of us, this is part of it. One person said, I prepare on Sunday so I don't get to watch as much football, that's a real cost, right, I appreciate you doing that. Another person said, sometimes sitting together with my family at church. I don't always get to sit with my family. Some others said, I serve, and when I serve, I don't sit in church. I don't get to attend church. I'm out serving. Another said, I'm forced to get out of my comfort zone. And then finally, we asked, well, what has been your biggest benefit to serving? And someone said, I've grown in my relationship with God. I've made new friends, and I have grown outside of my comfort zone." Another person said, I love seeing the new campus grow. Another person said, giving to something bigger than myself brings a completion to me. Again, as we talked about that passage beginning that joy is complete. And then another person said, getting to know others better. I love that. I love that the generosity that so many of you display. I gotta tell you, we have a higher percentage of people serving right now than any church I've ever been part of. And I just am so grateful that so many of you are demonstrating what it means to live and leverage what you've been given for the benefit of others. Joy is found in that place. Joy is found when you leverage what you have for the benefit of others. You're seeing the need and you're meeting the need and together we are committed to advancing the gospel. So how do I do it? How do I find joy when I have more than most, when I am more fortunate than most? What comes back to remembering that no thing will give you joy, but everything can give joy when leveraged for others. There is a purpose for us being where we are in this season of life. And it turns out, as Paul began, it's about serving the interest of others. Joy is more about who than what. Jesus could have, when his sacrifice, he could have pursued honor. And we would have gotten what we deserve. And I don't know about you, but in this season of chaos, in this season of looking around and watching the news and wondering what's going on, it's it's important to remember that Genesis 3, there was the fall of man, and then all of a sudden we have the cross of redemption, but we're still in the land of in-between. We're waiting for the day when we will be glorified, when all will be made right, and we will be with God forever and eternity. But in the meantime, here we live in a world that is broken, and a God that is gracious, and a God who redeems and gives purpose and we navigate a broken world together and even here we can have joy when we don't lose sight of eternity and that my job is to pour out my life like a drink offering Paul said for sacrificing for the interest of others sacrificing for the benefit of others I whatever I have been given it is for others and ultimately for God's glory now I want to close with some practical steps by asking just these questions, first of all, for you to ask yourself, well, what do I have? What have I been given that could be used for him or could be used for others? I love it. One of the uh, volunteers said, I wanted to use my talents to help people seeking Christ. I love that so much. Another person said, I desire to use my gifts and talents to help build his kingdom. I love that. What do you have? Let me just say this. Sometimes it's easy to think that, well, the gifts I have are very professional at, at, at my stage of life, they're not necessarily something that transcend or, or that cross over that I could see a way the church could use it. Can I just say one of the greatest gifts is availability? Because I, I wherever there's a need, just meeting it. I love that that, that one of the um, families that attend our church been attending for the last couple of years, and, and this this man uh, was telling me recently. He said, "Mark, when when we began to attend, volunteered to serve, and we got assigned to." Be part of the greeting team. And uh, he didn't say that as if he was excited. He said it as a matter of fact. And then he said, I will be honest with you because he's a business owner, has lots of employees, leads a successful business, doing really well. He said, when I got assigned to that, my first thought was, wow, they are really um, underutilizing my abilities. Those were his words. And I thought, man, I know what you feel. I know what you're thinking. And then he said, but we have met more people and we have been encouraged by more people and we have gotten to encourage more people than any other thing we could have ever asked to do. I would have never thought this was the perfect place. But what an honor it is to be part of serving others. And listen, every Sunday morning, you, you, you may not know this, but there's a business owner, there's an, a business executive who show up at about 6.30, 6.45 to pick up trailers in the back and take them to Rock Hill so that church can set up. They just do it. There was a judge who greeted you on your way in this morning. What we're saying is, yeah, we're professionals. You might be the boss, but I love what Jesus said. God himself became the servant. Isn't that a beautiful demonstration of who we are and how we best serve? I think the best thing you bring to the table is availability. All right, next question. How can I leverage what I have? I love what one of the volunteers said. I love pouring into the next generation it's saying where can I be used look around and if you can't just let us know and we'll give you a first step to take and then ask this question well what will it cost me maybe you're going to serve in your neighborhood maybe you're going to serve in your church maybe you're going to serve in your community at your work but you're going to look for others whose interest you can put above your own so that you can pour out and give out what you have but you have to measure the cost what will it cost you because it will It will cost you. We have the ultimate example in what it costs Jesus. Certainly serving will cost us something. And then finally, who will it benefit? This is my favorite part to measure what's the impact in the end. Some of the people who are surveyed, volunteers here at LifePoint said, what will it benefit? Because I want to make impact in lives of kids at LPC and teach them about God. They're constantly thinking about these kids, and they want to plant eternal truths in their hearts. Isn't that awesome? Another person said, seeing the gospel become real to students, That's why I do it, and that's who will benefit. Another person just said, I want to help people. I am doing it for others. And then finally, another person said, knowing that I'm helping make a difference in future ministers of Christ. That's why I do what I do. That's who I do it for. Finally, here are the four questions. Let me encourage you to ask them. What do I have? How can I leverage it? What will it cost me? And who will benefit? Maybe you would just take these questions as we wrap up Philippians 2 and think, God, I want to leverage what you've given me for the benefit of others. When it dawns on me how much I've been given, I wanna figure out how I can leverage it for the benefit of others. We don't have to feel bad for being blessed, we just feel grateful and become generous. This is the invitation, that joy is found when you leverage what you have for the benefit of others. You can have joy despite your circumstances and despite your stuff when you leverage it for others next month we're going to launch a new series called outside the walls where we will actually serve the least of these as we continue to move toward finding joy right where we are next sunday philippians 3 as we continue our pursuit of joy let's pray in fact would you do me a favor would you stand with me as we close in prayer let's pray God, I thank you so much for everybody who's here. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the blessings that you have given us. I thank you for where you've placed us. But we know we're here not because of anything that we've done or anything we deserve. We are here because you want to use us to bless others. So may we continue to lean into that. May we continue to see from Philippians 2 how much you gave on our behalf leaving it all, giving it all, emptying yourself for us. God, we come back and we say thank you for the cross where your love was eternally demonstrated. May we follow you more and more each day. I pray it all in the power of your son Jesus' name. Amen.